Hello and welcome to another city-centric podcast from Centric Lab. We hope you are all well and all healthy out there in the world. So for this episode, it's the first of three with our conversations with the Cash Campaign Group from Southall. Cash stands for Clean Air for Southall and Hayes, and it is a citizen-led campaign group based in West London. And for those who are not familiar with London, it's a predominantly residential area very close to Heathrow Airport. We've been engaged with the campaign group for around a year now, supporting their work, and we wanted to amplify their story, which is a case of environmental injustice, racism and social inequality. Their story started in 2017, when neighbours started reporting problems breathing. A putrid gasoline-like smell had invaded the air, causing all sorts of problems to local people. Citizens noticed this happened to coincide with the construction starting on a former gasworks site that had sat behind a row of homes on the edge of the local canal. The site in question is a former gasworks site owned by National Grid PLC, a once nationalised utility company that subsequently followed suit like others similar to it and became a private entity and eventually floating on the London Stock Exchange in 1995. As sites like the one in Southall became redundant due to technological innovations, it weighed up plans for what to do with them. Sites like these are costly to redevelop, but the company was able to benefit from the uplift in land value brought on by the city's housing crisis, and in 2014 established a joint venture with the housing developer Barclay Group called St. William. According to a press release in 2014, launching the venture, it stated that St. William had a proposed portfolio of 33 brownfield sites. The first group of 18 will develop 200 acres of redundant brownfield land and deliver 6.9 million square feet of development, creating approximately 14,000 homes and over 40 acres of open space. Around 20 of these sites are in London in established residential communities. In Southall, the site was first refused planning permission for redevelopment by Ealing and Hillingdon councils over fears and concerns regarding the increase of vehicle-based pollution in dense residential areas, and that the development programme had not taken this into account sufficiently. The scheme was called in by the Mayor of London's office, the Greater London Authority, which was run at the time by no other than Boris Johnson, and permission was granted, overruling local government policy with little regard to the impacts on the local community. From a structural perspective, what has become apparent is that the UK's planning system is not broken in its failure to deliver housing, but to protect citizens. Environmental, social and health impact assessments required on schemes such as this fail to dutifully protect existing residents, considering stresses like these as the price to be paid for living in cities. And despite citizens campaigning for years, nothing has been done to make their lives easier as they breathe in chemicals such as benzene, amnaphiplamine, carcinogenic chemicals that should be nowhere near people and the homes they live in. The planning system's policies over what is safe has been proven to be redundant, unethical and a convenient thing for people to hide behind, as every organisation from the local council's planning offices, to the Public Health England, who set guidance on such matters, to the development organisation have said that the toxins were in safe limits. No one is taking responsibility, yet people are sick, are being hospitalised and living in a perpetual state of stress. A predominantly low-income community of mixed ethnicities are suffering and no one is protecting them. Instead, organisations responsible hide behind outdated policies to enable housing delivery, 
apparently the most important thing in our society. Now, Araceli, I want you to introduce more about your relationship with cash. Um, Okay, well, as you already mentioned, our relationship with cash, specifically Angela Fonso, started a, a little bit over a year ago on Twitter. We were fresh out of publishing a report on PTSD in urban environments where we had discussed various factors that can cause structural violence and thus trauma on different communities. Um, One of the factors that we identified were communities that were living in identifiable toxins in in their environment and then what ensues. So by identifiable means that there is something sensorially that the community can identify as a new toxin, usually that is driven by a smell. What ends up happening is that the community has the constant feeling of danger. Then there's the psychological, sorry, the physiological experience. So the discomfort of the odor itself, the respiratory difficulties, and then the hospitalization. But then there's also the witnessing of neighbors getting sick, their families getting sick, they themselves getting sick, and yet still getting no answer. Then we also have to look at how this causes anxiety and anger as the community begins to be gaslit by authorities. And by authorities, I mean the people that are that are causing the toxins themselves, scientists and environmental agencies who throw their hands up and go, there is no correlation or specifically there is no direct causation between what you are experiencing and the toxins that are in their environment. And so when I saw what was happening um, to Angela and to the cash community, it really sounded like a cookie cutter experience from what we had written and discovered of this community in Louisiana called the Cancer Corridor. So this community for the last 10 years has been gaslit and told that their rising and disproportionate rates of cancer, respiratory problems, and other um, ailments has nothing to do with the fact that they live right next to various toxic industrial plants. And so what do they mean by when they want something correlate uh, correlatory or more specifically a direct link between human and the stru- uh, and the environmental stressor usually that takes a longitudinal study or it takes an autopsy to be able to understand the toxicity levels in a person's body and then thus their cause of death however biology isn't a input output mechanism and that becomes very difficult to say with absolute uncertainty that one led to the other and this is the loophole that various companies around the world hide behind however equally they also cannot hide and tell us for certain that the toxins that they pump out into our system have nothing to do with our poor health so we need to start moving away from these loopholes and not allowing them and not waiting for this exact evidence when there is plenty of qualitative evidence and by qualitative means the experiences and the data that is coming from many of these communities who begin to um, create journals or begin to log the experiences that they're having due to the, the toxins. So that is valid evidence. That is scientific evidence. 
um, that we need to start taking into consideration. So this is why we wanted to interview the <clears throat> the community because we wanted you guys to hear what it's like to live at South Hall. What are the experiences that this development has um, has ensued on this community? Um, and also to eradicate this myth that we're only going to move and change policy until we have exact evidence that a toxin is 100% related to a person's death. And at the moment, we have a grandstand trial, or I should say, um, legal case um, that on air pollution. And again, it's the same story being asked for exact quantitative evidence and completely dismissing the qualitative evidence. This next episode is with Angela, who is a mother, a black woman, and a clean air activist. She is one of the leads for CASH, and we'll be hearing from her and her experience as an activist and a citizen scientist, as well as the various stories evolving from the people living with acute air pollution. So Angela, you have been also for, uh, at this campaign from 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 the very beginning you are a mother as well which i'm sure coats it in a in a in a even more urgent light um you are a resident um and how let's talk about how you how has this experience been for you in terms of teaching you what it what it is to to experience environmental um, racism, what it is to be a black woman also engaging in what I presume is very dominantly um, white, but white privileged rooms. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's been quite a journey and it's been tough at times because it's been emotionally draining and upsetting that our politicians, local politicians, really seem to have some sort of colonial mentality. So what they do, they tend to support people who are privileged. And it's a case of you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but the majority can go to hell. And we're talking about Labour politicians. Southall is a Labour town, they will vote Labour. It's a safe seat. It's made me feel, do I want to vote Labour? I've reached a point where I won't vote, or if I do go to the polling station, I'll spoil my paper, because I am that disheartened by the representatives who are turning a blind eye to what is happening. And yes, it is environmental racism. I actually did a short course, a free online course on a um, platform called FutureLearn, on environmental justice. And the vast majority of cases were in the global South and America. And it was a real eye-opener. I thought, what is happening elsewhere in the world is happening right here in Southall, um, in London, and nobody seems to care. And I've said it before, you know, if I was a white person living um, in um, an affluent area, such as uh, the county of Surrey, which is by and large, uh, very affluent. Um, I don't think that this would be happening. I think I would have 
more leverage with the local politicians to actually get something done that makes a difference to the community. And now, Aricelli, you asked me, was I motivated um, by my own children? In actual fact, um, at the beginning, I wasn't. It was a neighbour's child who suffers very badly from asthma. And he's been to hospital, sorry, hospital on numerous occasions. And uh, I thought, this isn't right. My neighbour said, that smile um, that we experience is potentially carcinogenic. And I was able to dig deep into my past and uh, my cousin had a very serious asthma attack and potentially he could have died. So it's not just a case of bad wheezing, sorry, minor wheezing and just uh, inhaling a puffer. It can actually be seriously life-threatening. So I thought, this isn't right. You know, he was a three-year-old boy at the time, a beautiful little boy who my kids love playing with. It motivated me to say to him, let's start a petition. Um, but actually, we were much more than just a petition. We leafleted the local area. We had a meeting um, in a restaurant and the people who turned up were all telling the same stories. And as Sufian's already pointed out, we are predominantly um, ethnic minority town. But in saying that, there are a lot of positives to living in South. I like South, it's my home, and I hate what is happening. My children go to school here, they go to an outstanding school. They have the opportunity to be world-class citizens because as Sufian said, they mix and mingle with people from different ethnic backgrounds, different religious, uh, sorry, religions, different outlooks. So I think you know they've got the opportunity to be much more broad-minded than I um, have been about race, class, culture and religion. But what I don't like is that their prospects are being seriously compromised because a company wants to make a profit. And quite frankly, they don't give two hoots about the community that they are killing. Because make no mistake, they are killing us. I was very disheartened to hear about an elderly gentleman who died about a couple of weeks ago. And um, we met him for the first time at a public meeting back in 2018. And he said, my children, uh, sorry, my grandchildren don't want to visit anymore because of the stink. And you talk about separating families. The elderly need young people around them to feel vital, to feel alive, to feel that they have value. Um, so, you know, this environmental injustice uh, needs to be called out for what it is. And, um, you know, it's something that I won't stop campaigning about. Um, I was asked to give advice um, to other campaigners experiencing the same thing being polluted by um, the local gas works being redeveloped by St. William in East London. Um, and I know uh, that community reasonably well because I used to live over that side of London. And I said, you cannot stop fighting. You've got to just continue to fight. Take the fight to um, the people who are oppressing you. But one thing I've learned as a black person, I think twice about the action that I can take because I cannot do actions that perhaps Extinction Rebellion take that could lead to potentially prosecution. Because mm. I know as a black person, that is gonna seriously 
blight my economic prospects. I might not get a job again. Um, I might be penalised more by the judicial system than somebody who is white. You know, these are the facts. It's reality. You know, we've seen what happened to George Floyd in America. You know, this has been going on for years. The only difference is that it was caught on camera. Um, so I think very carefully about what I can do. Yes, I'd like to chain myself to the entrance gate at the site. Yes, I'd like to throw paint at, you know, the site or do things that are destructive um, and criminal, but I can't. I mean, the only thing I've done is some fly posting, but I had to think very carefully about that. Mm, those um, are really, really good points. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I had to think very carefully about, do I post on LinkedIn? But I've got to an age where my career is not that important. Yes, I need to earn a living, but really trying to communicate to people who work in contaminated land and the policy makers and the politicians, for me, overrides the potential risk to my job prospects. In actual fact, I applied for a job at Ealing Council a couple of years ago. And as far as I was concerned, I had the right skill set. I've been doing the job for the vast majority of my working life. And I would say in record time, I think in uh, less than two days, they told me that my application was unsuccessful. It's the first time in my working life that I've had such a quick response to an application. Um, but they've done me a favour um, because I think um, I would have been quite constrained working for the council based upon the experience of somebody um, who is a member of um, CASH and... Uh, Really, they have been treated quite harshly by the council and threatened um, with disciplinary action for speaking out. But so, yeah, I, I'm glad that, um, you know, I'm not part of the local authority. Um, but it frustrates me, it makes me angry. And I'll tell you what really drove me on. Um, I used to work um, at the local college and people who go to the college are part of the community. In fact, the vast majority of students live um, in Southall and many of them are there to improve their language skills particularly older students and English is not their first language but they see it as their gateway to improve their job prospects to gain independency and uh, for women in particular not to feel that they are dependent upon their husbands um, the fumes were evident within the college um, and I spoke to the health and safety officer about it and he wasn't interested, didn't want to know because it was out, came from outside of the college. I used to hear the children at two primary schools playing and I used to go home with a heavy heart because the stench was like industrial revolution. Um, and I used to think, how can the head teachers allow the children to play outside? And I used to be particularly concerned for children with asthmatic symptoms because I know that the air pollution irritated my chest. And whether we like it or not, it's dirty air. We are, we are inhaling it. It's being embedded in our brains, our lungs, our hearts. This is a ticking time bomb. Hopefully, by becoming part of an alliance, we gain strength in numbers 
um, and people are going to perhaps take more notice because we've become more diverse. Um, it's not just about Southall. You know, it's happening in Canning Town. It's happening in Hornsey. It's happening in Bow. You know, it's the urban areas where the most deprived lived. Tower Hamlets is the most deprived borough. Or oh, if it's not the most deprived borough, it's very close to the top. It's the worst. It's the most deprived uh, area in all of the UK. Yeah, and it's sho it's shocking. Um, but it's all about money, and money is king. And what makes me particularly angry is that public health really doesn't seem to feature very highly in the decisions that are being made. So when the developers talk about risk, they're not talking about risk to human health. They are purely talking about financial risk. And what makes me angry as well, the environmental consultants, um, they talk about some of them, you know, I've got an interest in health, so they will do computer modeling, they will do their site surveys, but they don't actually talk to the community who've been directly affected by intolerable air pollution. Can you go into that? That's so important. That's such an important nugget of knowledge of the importance, the significance of not hiding behind data and going into the community and meeting um, people like yourself. Yeah, it, it's so important because when you meet people who are affected and you look into their eyes you know that they're not being hysterical you know that they are not being dramatic i remember meeting a woman whose mother died and she said my mother came to stay before arriving in southall she was healthy for her age she contracted pneumonia and she was hospitalized three times. And on a third occasion, she died. And I looked into this woman's eyes and I thought, I don't know you, but your story touches my soul. Um, so yes, you know, the people who make these decisions, the politicians, uh, the environmental consultancies, the developers, the people who sit on, you know, the air pollution um, parliamentary committees on, um, you know, they need to come and meet us, talk to us. We will tell you face to face. You don't need to do it through the medium of the Guardian. You know, as I said um, yesterday, um, Brenda Sharma hasn't accepted an invitation to meet residents in their own homes. Some of them housebound due to their health so can't you know go to his surgery he needs to be like his counterpart in Hayes who will visit um, his constituents at home you know it, it's shocking that we are so poorly served my hope is Sufian talks very eloquently he understands the issues very well and he asked a question about people who um, live in polluted areas. Did they move to the polluted areas because they were poor? Or did the decision makers pollute the area 
because they were poor. Yeah. And the professor who uh, responded said, brilliant question. You've got the makings of a great academic career. So what I would like to see, young people who can't be easily dismissed, who are very intellectual and academic, stepping forward and leading this campaign. Because I think, really, that's where the power lies. My late father used to say, I'm handing over the reins of power to you. Um, so Sufian has great prospects to lead this campaign. Hell yeah, he does. He has a lot of power. In actual fact, I was interviewed for another podcast by a young woman who lives in Hayes. And that was an absolute pleasure. She knew so much about the injustice. She also talked about what is going on in um, Tower Hamlets. Uh, she talked about the gentrification there. She talked about, really, it's an area that's juxtaposed because you've got Canary Wharf, where all the money is, and then you've got people living in dire poverty. That conversation she had with me was influenced by her conversation with Sufian. So that gives me great hope that there are young people in Hayes and Southall who can really take this on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that, Angela. Um, thank you for, as a citizen, for putting this campaign forward. I think you and Rosamond are, you're two black women that are, and two black mothers that are going to help shape the air quality of London. And that's, that's amazing. Um, so your final question, what is home to you? What is in terms of South Hall? Because you were starting to, to go into that and I just wanted to probe you a little bit more. I have to say that I love living in South Hall. It is home. My children were born in South Hall. They were born at Ealing Hospital. Uh, they went to primary school. Um, They're now at high school. And I just love the fact that this is such a culturally diverse community. And even though we are battling an injustice, what I have learned is we are a strong community. Even people who are the most disadvantaged um, because of uh, poverty or because of ill health, they do what they can to support the campaign. Um, it's not about just myself and Sophie, and there are so many people involved. I'm amazed that, you know, three years later, we are still going strong. I think there was a point we could have um, collapsed um, when a key member left, but I thought to myself, I'm determined, um, you know, we're still going to go ahead because uh, a colleague said to me, you know, what do you do when you see dog muck in the street? Do you step in it or do you walk around it? You know, you've got to find a way around the problem. Um, but going back to Southall, um, it's a community that I want to be part of for a very long time. But I am saddened to see the number of high rises going up. It looks to me like a concrete jungle. And these are homes that the local community will never be able to afford to buy. And I include my children in that. And that saddens me that the accommodation will be out of their price range. Yeah, it saddens me that developers have so much power. It saddens me that we have the government uh, that we have at the moment uh, who dictates housing policy, which filters down 
uh, into local plan. But I don't see myself going anywhere right now. My kids go to an outstanding school. They're happy. They've got their friends. They feel safe. They feel secure. They feel supported. Yes, there are social issues in Southall to do with deprivation and crime. But you get that in lots of different areas. One thing I've learned is that, uh, as Joe said, I hope that I'm in contact with all members of CASH for life. And there is a member of CASH who's taught me how much um, we care for our community because he is part of a group who does litter picks all along the canal and different areas of Southall, dealing with all the rubbish that people just drop. And that shows and tells me that as individuals, we have pride in our community. Yes, there's a few who are not bothered, but the majority care. Um, and, you know, we are unique in the fact that, you know, we are so culturally diverse. I wouldn't have met Sufian um, if it wasn't for the campaign. He has a lot of power as a young person. I think people tend to kind of like um, judge Southall. Oh, well, you're poor. Um, they've got preconceived ideas about our intellect and ability. I think they've been surprised by how well organised we are as a campaign and going beyond um, and becoming um, a coalition with other campaign groups. And I've been most proud when people say, you know, can I come and see? You know, I want to see the development. People who we are in solidarity with, who are part of GCU, actually visited. We showed them around, we gave them wonderful hospitality. And that bonded and connected us. Likewise with yourselves coming to visit. And your health survey actually influenced part of my uh, speech at the GCU conference. Because um, I remembered what you said about South or Broadway scoring highly on the IMD. And I remember, you know, how you talked about the fact that... Um, the pollution that we experience is an additional burden on our health. Um, but I'm so disappointed that we get platitudes um, from uh, the local politicians, um, but they're not taking up the mantle of demanding independent health research. I would hope that would happen at some point. Uh, I'm not going to give up. Don't, we're not gonna give up either. So that was our conversation with Angela. Um, Arishelli, like over to you to kind of summarise some of the things that you heard in your conversation with Angela. Well, this is not, it's not so much a summary as a observation. What I heard in her voice is, or I recognise, I should say, in her voice, is a sense of tiredness. I think for a lot of us who are in the campaign, but we're also part of the communities that get forced into these environmental and racist um, experiences, there's always that sense of feeling tired and exhausted. And that's what I could hear in in Angela's voice. Not, not, not throughout the whole thing, but there were those moments where I was like, yeah, I... I I hear it and I get it. Um, 
and what that must be to have that constant stress of having to confront really huge systems and companies on a daily basis, plus be a mother, plus try to sustain a family, plus just trying to be a human being. Um, and what, you know, what also that starts to do to, to her own um, well-being and to her own health. And also, of course, a reminder of the non-stop, constant labor that Black women have to do for everyone's justice. So right now, between Angela and Rosamond Adukisi Deborah, we're about to get a change in air pollution policy thanks to two black mothers. And I just don't think that enough credit goes to black women and their constant sacrifice that they that they make um, to get us all justice, not just for themselves, but for everybody. So that's that's what really struck me about it. Thanks, Jay. I think some of the points that I pulled out of that conversation, which is so prescient in how we look at protecting communities. You know, Angela spoke very intently on community solidarity. And she talked about the, there are members of her, of her community and part of cash who do litter pickups on the canal. Like they, they love where they live. They're not an area that needs to be regenerated and be injected with new social capital. There are people that are proud and love where they live. Um, one, one thing that really jumped out to me when she talked about her children, and I, I think this line is a really important one to remember, that she believes her children have the opportunity to be world-class citizens. And I think that's a really powerful line and something that we should acknowledge because she also goes on to say that their prospects for that are being hindered by potential health risks. And these are the issues, again, disabling people from fulfilling potential because of structural inequalities and inequities in this way, because we don't protect social life. We don't protect healthy lives and communities in these ways. Um, I think from a technical perspective, some things I found really insightful, again, the transmission of outdoor to indoor uh, air pollution. Um, I think from a political perspective, the way that she was referencing the local members of parliament refused to meet people inside their homes. I think there's a bit of um, convenience there at not addressing the issue. Um, and really, the, you know, she says public health just does not get considered. And I think that's very true. It's something that we're, you know, obviously campaigning for a century. The, the idea that public health is just not considered a core issue of a decision being made in an urban environment. And that people aren't directly engaging with people face to face. They're not actually talking. And it's not that every institution needs to meet every member of the public. But there is a clear and convenient breakdown here. And I think the line that she says, when, when you meet people and look into their eyes, you know they're not being hysterical. And that goes to your point, Arachelli, about being gaslit. Is that it's very easy to gaslight someone by reading their tweets or reading a letter. 
but very few times can you meet someone, look in their eyes and dismiss them outright. And I think that's what we need to do is to listen to people better. We have to rethink how communities are managed and how engagement is done between the different actors in our urban environments, because quite frankly, it's broken. But it is something that can be solved because we do it. Therefore, we can all change how we do things. So, actually, if you have a final thing to say, uh, please, by all means. Well, it's the last thing that you said about looking into people's eyes. I mean, this isn't just a tick or our own box or just to pat ourselves on the back. But this is why we are we we get pushed in the way that we do our science at centric is because angela and sufian and joe and and the people that we've met at south hall they're no they're just not strangers anymore you know we have a a developed a sense of friendship with with angela and sufian um through the last year and and it does it changes the way that you fight and that you fight for justice Thanks, Ashley. So if you want to continue to support and help people fight for justice, then head over to the website southallandhayescleanair.org.uk. The link will be in the show notes. Please do go support them. Please do follow up on listening to this conversation and help people. All they need is support. So please do go help and we look forward to speaking to you soon.